Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we have a very special guest on our podcast. We're sitting in Chicago at Focal Point's headquarters with Jimilee Benno, the president of Focal Point and OCL, part of the LeGrand family. Jimilee, today we've got an interesting episode, something to talk about. The last year, the last 14 months have been anything but normal. Today is April 29th, 2021, and we're on the heels of a global pandemic. It's not over, but there's a lot that still has to be sorted out. There's also a lot to reflect on. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? It's so good to see you. It's great to see you. Every time I'm with you, I have a great time and I'm inspired. And so it was an honor to come and be together. Generally, we've known each other for about 10 years at this point in time in life. I think your career spans my lifetime, which is really cool. It's a big reason why you're here, so that we can listen to somebody who's really kind of seen it all, who's done it all. And uh, most recently, congratulations, by the way, you, uh, you. <laughs> you're, you're running Focal Point now. I know. It's, a, it's an amazing opportunity. Personally, I've had a long history with Focal Point. It's a cool company. And they are so, so, so lucky to have somebody like you here at the helm. I know that you are involved in the IALD. Uh, There's a lot of people who you've made an impact on in the industry over time. But remind us and tell those who may not know you so much, who is Jimeline? How did you get your start in lighting? I've always loved lighting, much like you. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, I had shared with you when I was in high school and I would go on a date to the mall. There was a lighting store in there and I would always ask to go into the lighting store because I was just amazed by it. I have an interiors degree and one of the opportunities I had there was that no one wanted to calculate lighting so they allowed me to do all the lighting designing calculation so and I knew when I got out of school I like I I have to do this and and I wanted to shape how lighting felt and how it entered into that interior space and made it more magnificent you wanted to figure out everything about light. You were fascinated from a young age. Walk us through your career. You've done so much from flying around the country to connecting with people to working at all kinds of different businesses. It's funny because now it sounds silly, but I started with Lightelier Genlight. (laughs) 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 And when they just announced the name coming back again, I'm like, you know, it's it's just amazing. It's a a full life cycle. (laughs) That's right. I actually did something that I'm proud of and then I'm surprised that I was able to be successful in the long term is I took off a few years to be with my children and you would think it's so hard to come back to a career after doing that but the reality is it was something I was passionate about and wanted to do and I came back and the good fortune to work with some of the friends from Colorado you know Gary Trott Kevin Ledford as part of Gotham mm-hmm. and you know they gave me a test if I understood phonometrics and <laughs> uh, then lighting nerds yes yeah. yes and then you know I had different sales territories uh, there and you know I had the opportunity to, and I'm going to say it's an opportunity, but I think it's relevant in this conversation talking about COVID and and how things happen to you. You know, I was in the Northeast and Central for Gotham and loving my job and everything, and I lost my husband to cancer. And 
that tragedy gave me the freedom to move. I would have never moved, and I was given the opportunity to run training and education. And that bold step, if you think about a woman, I'll say 20 years ago, it might be a little longer, (laughs) moving her two children for a career opportunity, that's not where we were. It is, it's hardly where we're at today. Yeah, and I wouldn't have had the courage, but I didn't have an option. And so I think about that now with COVID today, you know, none of us would choose this, but it's what we do from here. You made this bold move. You continued to progress your career. You had an opportunity to run a brand called Peerless. Mm -hmm. You had an opportunity to work at Acuity Brands in many, many different roles traditional roles, innovative roles, unique roles, tried out new models. Uh, Then most recently, you've joined the LeGrand family with OCL and now at Focal Point. You're also the committee chair of the IALD Education Trust. You're helping future this entire industry by supporting a fundraising initiative in in an organization. What else have you done in this great career of yours that I've missed? (laughs) I don't know, but, you know, some of the things that I am proud of are those contributors to our industry, like the IES, like right now I'm leading the Committee on Biophilic Design, trying to get RP1 updated once again. And, you know, also at Lightfair, because of that training and education background, I was asked to participate in, you know, designing, you know, some of the, you know, what classes would we take at Lightfair? And, you know, that was amazing because we had people up from all over the world and, um, you know, they had ideas that I had never even dreamed of. And so everything is this learning experience throughout life. And uh, that I, I really enjoyed. I think it's fair to say that you've had a lot of life experiences, good and bad. You've had a lot of opportunity in this industry. And I just wanna remind everybody, that's why we're sitting here talking to you today. I think you're a great person to help kind of unpack this last year. It's fresh on our minds. It's not gonna be forever which is a good and a bad thing. Humans are resilient. We forget pain. We all know how to grieve somehow, some way. We all know how to, to persevere. And we will survive this pandemic, and we're very lucky. On the other hand, three million people are dead. There's been a lot that's happened. I want to dive into that, and I want to reflect on that. How has this changed humanity? How has this changed our industry? And where are we going? You know, let's just mark where we're at today. There's a new vocabulary out there in our lives, right? Hey, pre-vax, post-vax, COVID-19, quarantine, like all these new words that people are all of a sudden, I mean, herd immunity, we have to flatten the curve. I remember the first time somebody said, we have to flatten the curve. It's like, what are you talking about? It's um, so so fast, so quickly, you know, everybody wore a mask. Things change so fast. What was that like a year ago? really, I should say, 13 months ago. You know, I think about it first from, I started with OCL in January. And imagine this is... <laughs> January, January 2020. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you're, you're like, I'm, this is, I'm going to rock this. This is so fun. I love these people. And then it was about survival. And... I remember the first weekend that we thought somebody had a possible exposure 
and I spent all day Saturday and Sunday deciding whether was it an exposure was it not an exposure what <laughs> right and then you know the decision of moving forward but doing it honestly because we wanted we quarantined those people none of them ended up with covid or you know they really weren't exposed in the end but we didn't know and so we quarantined them and we told the factory and just to pause for a second you quarantined them because nobody knew what the heck covid was we didn't know how it spread we didn't know if it killed everybody we didn't know if you had to be you know a certain age if you had to have a certain blood type it was airborne if it was surface transmitted we had no clue i mean it was a there was a state of panic yeah fear and this massive responsibility to keep people safe and what i want to share with you is we brought teams you know you had everybody you know in small groups and they kept cycling through so that i could tell them what was going on and people had masks on but you could see fear in their eyes so you can imagine standing there and you had you know i mean i felt so responsible for everyone it really questioned my confidence of you know am i doing everything right and what if something happens to one of them and because you're the leader yeah you're calling the shots and there was someone in the factory and i think this is like this this story really hits home to me he said that when he left the facility he would go home and he would go in the garage and he would take off all his clothes so as not to infect his family and then he would shower and then redress and that's when he would connect again so i mean you're thinking like this is the extreme caution we're taking and am i doing enough right you know i don't have people showering before they come in the door <laughs> you know so. yep i know we're we're sitting here in chicago at focal point right now this factory this facility was hit super hard there's generations on generations of families that are, are back in the factory that have an incredible opportunity to work here and a lot of them were living in hot spots around the Chicago area and it was tough I mean but we're still here I, I can I can see people sitting at their desks with masks on there's plexiglass around their cubes <laughs> yeah. right now I mean it's yeah it's uh we're laughing because it's so normal yeah i remember sitting in chip israel's office uh, about seven months ago and uh freight delivery showed up and he went and got his forklift and he unloaded all this stuff 45 sheets of plexiglass he's like oh yeah you know covid renovations it was like let's do it let's figure it out talk to me just a little bit more about that gentleman who took all those precautions and then I just think everybody, you know, across the community that that you've spoken with, has this been fun for anyone? It's not fun for anyone. And I will say the other part of it, you started at the beginning and it was almost, and and honestly, um, it was Stephen Rosen who said this, at the beginning, we're like, we've got this. How bad can it be? It can't go on forever. And we got about three months into it and it was a wall. It was like, it is gonna be forever. (laughs) It felt that way at the time. Why do you think it felt that way at the time? As 
Americans never experiencing anything like this. And, you know, maybe this is the way it felt all over the world, but I can speak from this perspective. Certainly, we'd be able to get it under control, you know, in three months. This isn't going to go on for a year. And that three-month point when there was still not that sense of hope really made people say two things. One is can I do this? Mm -hmm. But then two is I've got to own the option. And so you will see people who, you know, went from, you know, I'm just going to do what I have to do every day to to survive to saying, okay, how do we make it better? And the thing I thought you were going to say about Chip Israel is that he was worried about the homeless people. And he bought those backpacks and they filled them and and made an impact that way. So it, it gave us a chance to challenge the ordinary, you know, instead of having a Christmas party, which was, you know, everybody looked forward to, you know, we had none of that fun human connection. It was a necessary human connection. You know, it felt very heavy that way. And so we did grocery bags full of food. And so it what felt better is that not only we were touching the employee, we were now touching their family. And so like, okay, that's a cause to celebrate. It's something different than we've done before. In many ways, it's better than we've done before. In many ways, it's opened our eyes, right? Mm-hmm. I want to go back to that three-month mark real quick. That's June 2020. The best year ever is now officially the worst year ever. There's memes, there's jokes, but there's a lot of desperation for any sort of normalcy. Uh, the government has basically shut down restaurants. Everybody's trying to figure out what it means to have outdoor dining. Laws are being passed <laughs> saying, yeah, you can take cocktails and alcohol to go. Uh, sure, you can walk down the street with the beer. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, what civilized humanity been for so long is just getting upended overnight for the sake of... Um, keeping businesses alive. There's this crazy paradigm where it's all about keeping businesses alive and keeping businesses open. Yet people are dying. Hospitals are full. At this point, everybody knows it's time to wear a mask. But there's something going on professionally that is starting to really take a toll on people. I'm not talking about death by Zoom. I'm not talking (laughs) about being on screens all day. I'm talking about the fact that there's no lines, there's no balance. You're in your house every single day. You're in a makeshift desk. Maybe some people got monitors. Maybe some people got chairs. Maybe some people start sitting on stools. We caught up with Brittany Lynch a month ago about what it was like to have you know, a full-time job and be at home raising young kids. I don't have any kids. I've got family members who have young kids. And, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, I want to have a a bottle of wine every night or I mean the intensity just kept building and building and building what was your perspective on all of that and what what did you see happening that's true and you know I think of Alexis Arnold from Kleinbetridge Bernstein and he was in New York City and at the beginning you know he and his wife were trying to work and you know it the kids it would be loud and the parks at the one point they couldn't go out to the park and 
you know, just the stress. So something that in one side you could say, gosh, this could be beautiful. You get this extended time with your children, but because you still needed to deliver and perform, that that time wasn't as rich as it should have been or could have been, right? And I mean, you can see opposite pieces of that where Yulia from Arab and she got to spend her pregnancy basically at home with her husband, you know, and so that's a beautiful it's a beautiful it's right? a beautiful thing right so i think we have to accept the bad things and then we have to really look for these silver linings these pieces that connect us still i'm on a weekly cocktail hour i think like a lot of people are that you know i, I virtual call it, virtual yeah. cocktail hour yeah. everybody calls in and ch- and cheers us to the camera for the sake of staying connected yeah. to people it called my survival time and the interesting part is Everyone in that group, we knew each other and we were friends, but because we went through this together and had these weekly touch points, there were times we cried, we shared different things than we ever would have shared in the past. We shared, you know, how we grew up. What do you think prompted all that? I mean, there's maybe an answer that's obvious or not. You're basically saying you've known people all your life. Yet you never stopped to talk about things that all of a sudden you were not only willing to share, but you wanted to share. Before, the, our connection point was lighting and our passion for lighting. And then it became this survival humanity, deeper connection that I'm really thankful for and I would have never had. Life goes fast and we don't take the time. And we were forced into that. And yeah, it's just different. We were forced into this. Mm-hmm. That's a strong word. It's a very real world. You mentioned as Americans, you know, we said we'd have this under the control the United States of America is an incredibly free country. We have so many rights, yet we do also have so many problems in this country. We've seen it come up with issues in diversity. We've seen some pretty powerful things come out in terms of sentencing scenes recently, particularly with the George Floyd case. There are a lot of people who are on edge right now from the standpoint of there's been an unconscious bias and they haven't been treated right. And then you just put the whole thing in a pressure cooker and told everybody in America who kind of sort of has an opportunity to figure stuff out and get what they want. Now you're being forced into something you are not comfortable with. Am I going too far here? Or, or did we really get put in a place that no one felt comfortable? I think so. I will still say that it was necessity and that the other piece is that respect for others that, you know, I find myself really being sensitive to, you know, when I see an older person and making sure that I kind of stay out of their way, you know, and so I don't want to lose that it was necessary for us to do this, but certainly it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't a choice. It won't be forgotten. It will not be forgotten in terms of the impact it leaves, but I would argue that humans are resilient and we forget pain because we seek joy. And that's kind of part of why we're sitting here, maybe just recapping all this. Another big thing that happened in our industry was that sense of community was almost completely decimated. We had these trade shows and conferences and events that people loved. And I I know everybody would just like be there tomorrow if they could because everybody misses them. What was it like to have to cancel your trip to Italy last year? <laughs> I mean, Obviously, it was disappointing, but this trade show, and I have to tell you, when I talk about that up-down, I think I was feeling very hopeful just recently, and when Leducation canceled just you know last week or so, that it wasn't going to do the in-person, I was 
like, oh, we're not to the other side yet. You could feel it coming back up. People are getting vaccinated. There's a lot of hope. Everybody's excited. And then boom, nope, just kidding. Like the world's not ready to put 10,000 people in a room yet. And, you know, we're sitting here April 29th, light fairs, supposedly the end of October, and everybody's holding their breath right now. Right. We have no clue. I mean, the team at Lightfair has no clue. This is not the Javits Center. This is not, this is again out of our control. It is a disease. It is a pandemic. It is something that is arguably preventable via science, but at the same time, extremely hard to control because the X factor is humans. And we all have our own minds and we are not robots. I will say the other thing that we cannot miss is the financial impact it has been to the institutions that have uplifted us from an education or just an inspiration standpoint like ILD and IES. And ILD, that conference, I went to that every year and it was my recharge. Mm -hmm. That was my recharge and then it was gone. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was digital and everybody did a great job, but the guilt of digital, like participation, you know, once you're there, then it's guilt of not participating fully. But when it's digital, it was really hard to say, I need to take time from my day and do this, right? It was really hard. It was really, really hard to choose. We have decisions we can make every day. And it's easy when you have a division of a commute, an office, and a home. Get rid of the commute, get rid of the office, get rid of your home. I mean, home was not home. It was an office. It was a home. It was a school. It was everything. All of a sudden, one tiny little piece or big piece of real estate, wherever you were, whatever you were doing, had to serve so many more purposes than we were used to. You hear the stories of people working in their closets. I mean, it sounds like a war. Right. This was a war. This is a war on the world. This is a war on humanity. People are in their cars. People are hiding under blankets. Biggest joke in the world, you know, everybody got dressed from the waist up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, are you kidding me? We're sitting here talking about all this stuff like it's normal. And people would be like, that's so unprofessional. Or No, that will never happen. So I just want to pause for a second. Look at everything that's happened. Look at everything that we never could have predicted. Yep, we're here. You and I are sitting here breathing. Business does go on. The world does go on. People are still having children. People are still leaving this earth. Sports are back. Nonprofits have pivoted to virtual events. Fundraising uh, is still alive. We have a healthcare system that's been decimated. We have tens of thousands of medical professionals, doctors and nurses. My sister, she's an amazing human being. She's eight years younger than me. She's 26. She looked like she was going into a war zone every day. She didn't sign up for that. She had a four-year college degree to go be a, a medical professional and was so emotionally exhausted she would just cry when she came home every day because all the media and all the news talked about was the pandemic. I mean, these people, these medical professionals stared this thing straight in the freaking face and I wish I had my sister sitting here to chime in right now, but you know, if I could speak for everybody in the medical profession, the answer is we're as scared as we've ever been, but we didn't have a choice because we signed up for this. I came into the office every day of the pandemic. I had to do that because I couldn't ask others to do it and not be there. What I would do is on the weekends, I would go nowhere because I considered that a possible exposure and I couldn't risk 
going back into that office on Monday and facing people that say, oh yeah, well, I went and did this and I put you at risk. You know, it was that daily grind, but then even then that confinement over the weekend because you didn't want to do the wrong thing. Not doing the wrong thing is tough when you don't know what the right thing is. <laughs> That's right. It's really, really tough, especially when there's so many factors. I think as an industry, as humanity, we've reacted about as damn good as we could have. <laughs> it was hard to write a playbook for this, but you know, we pivoted to new strategies. Some people had to lay off companies. Some people had to find alternative uses for their facilities. Virtual engagement has soared through the roof whether that's good or bad or effective or not, can be measured many, many different ways. And certain things are probably better than others. And politically speaking, this country's as divided as it's ever been. This is not a platform for a political conversation, but it's just an observation, you know? I would say that we're all as united as we are divided right now because we all want to live and survive. I know we've kind of had to unpack how much everything sucked, but let's celebrate here for a second. Humanity reacted. We're here. The other part to that is here is a low point, a very sad point, and a time that, wow, unity surely would make it better. And so when you don't have that, that's kind of sad. I would hope that we can do better and we can lift each other up and not push the divide, but push the survival piece that, you know, it's better surviving together. Yeah, I think we're kind of at a place right now where 40% of American citizens have been vaccinated with one of two doses. Another thing to remember, like everybody all of a sudden I get two doses. There's a term half vax and full vax. I mean, <laughs> this is insane. Uh, yeah. I can't wait to listen to this recording in three years, in five years. What's a half vax, you know? We haven't got shots since we were like, before we can remember, we were three years old, two years old, one year old. Everybody's getting a vaccine. Everybody's excited about it. And everybody's posting on Instagram about yeah, it. And like- I posted. Yeah, <laughs> I got my vaccine. This is awesome. Everybody wants to live. Everybody's ready to get on with life. What do you feel like the energy is right now as we kind of start to come out of this pandemic? And when I say come out of it, I might say just understand the consequences and how we have to take care of ourselves to move forward. I want to say two pieces. One of the happiest days that I've had at Focal Point was the day that we got 222 vaccines. And I walked in to get my vaccine. And then throughout the day when people had, you had to wait the 15 minutes, I'd go in and meet people and everything. And the looks of joy, and it's just so funny, like, oh, we're so joyful to have a vaccine. And we had balloons, <laughs> we had all that. You know, that was just a great moment that I wanted to share with you because Focal Point's about over 70% vaccinated, so. That's incredible. You had an opportunity to probably spark joy in people's lives in a way they've never experienced it before. That's a pretty measurable thing to be able to do. That's kind of a once in a, a lifetime opportunity thing as an organization. You do. It's just, you hear about these companies buying vaccines for their employees. Well, I mean, the government's actually funding all of this. And let's just talk about how privileged we are in America for a <laughs> second here. Yeah, we are uh, privileged. We're crushing the vaccine game. Mm -hmm. We, America, it's, we're super lucky. It's free. It's readily available. I'd argue to say it's even ahead of schedule, which is hard to believe given that we spent over 365 days wondering if it literally would ever show up. I want to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to dive in just a little bit more. We'll talk about, you know, that change and what was temporary, what maybe seemed temporary but is real, and what changed and will always be real and nobody ever questioned it. And then we'll talk a little bit 
about how our industry has embraced and persevered through many different crisis times over the last 45 years. And then we'll wrap it up. Does that sound good? Sounds great. Thank you. Yep. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, this episode of The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They bring you this podcast and they make short two-minute videos that are educational, informative, to help inspire, to help create, and to help connect the entire lighting design community. Check them out at lytei.com. And welcome back. Over the break, Jim and Lee and I were talking just a little bit more about that change agent. It was temporary, it was uncertain, it was three months long, it was six months long. Well, change is a year long now, and there's another crazy saying out there, the new normal. I don't know what that means. I don't really like it. I think that, you know, we're always evolving, but we've just evolved so fast, people have classified it as a new normal. Well, normal's the way we operate, and that evolves over time. Jimmy, talk to me just a little bit more about that change and how it's progressed through our entire lighting industry. I think you make a good point of at the beginning, it was, well, let's just hold on. It's going to go back the way it was. I think we found things that could be better. We talked about, you know, Generation Z. They communicate different than we do, or I do. And me, and me. You and I, you and I are not the same generation, and they are different than both of us. That gave this digital transformation an opportunity for us to meet them, whereas in the past we would have just tried to do the same thing we've always done. This forced us to change, and we're still growing in this. So, you know, yes, we've changed, but we're not there yet right? Yesterday, I sat with the focal point team and we talked about what do we have to do different? Well, it really forced us. We would have, I would have come into this organization, put my mark on it, but it would have been more iterative. This kind of hit us right in the, you know, between the eyes. And then it said, we can do better. And so we talked about, you know, what does that look like? What does it look like from a product's experience? What does that look like from our employees coming into the workplace and, you know, making it a place people want to be, not a place that people have to be? So I think there's, you know, a lot of good change there. You know, I started as a regional, you know, we went out there, we did the same thing, you know, and we can't do that anymore. So I think that challenges us to be better. It challenges us to be better. It's a great observation. I want to unpack that just a little bit more. Where does challenge come from? In the past, when we did things the way we always did it, we had success, right? When you weren't able to do the things the way you always did it, then there was creativity. You have salespeople now creating music videos with application shots in the background. You have, you know, everybody just trying to say, well, is there an effective and efficient way that we can reach out to the community? And I would say that we've gone leaps and bounds there. Yeah, challenge used to be something that maybe was Mm self-induced, so to speak, and challenge all of a sudden became survival. Yet it's still a challenge, right? It's still an obstacle to get to the next place. But when you tackle challenge head on and you win, well, you win. Humans were resilient. There's a lot that's changing in terms of mental health. You mentioned the office space, the culture of coming to work. It's not you will, you must. It's we want you to enjoy it. We want you. I mean, that's a culture shift. 
period in modern time as long as you've been a working professional the office has been where you go when you work and my annoying generation as people like to sometimes call us the millennials started to say work from home work from anywhere (laughs) gen z is like you got to be kidding me if you think that anybody's ever going to tell me where to work i can do everything uh, on a tech basis and in case anybody has wondered whether or not tech is taking over the world we're in a current shortage of computer chips and silicone because technology is literally going into everything and we can't keep up with the demand at a global level the world is just changing so fast what do you think that challenge to change and succeeding through the pandemic has taught us in terms of what we're capable of achieving moving forward as individuals humanity and, and the lighting industry You know, when you talked about resiliency, most of us talk about resiliency like in architecture, in our buildings, and you know, like this was like a hot topic, Mm -hmm. and now it's kind of everything, us. I think that's an interesting transition. I also said that you talk about the people not wanting to come back to the office or, you know, never even choosing that. A, A funny story is that we created a great place to work team, and our big thing was could we maybe every other week allow people to work from home? <laughs> and so, boom, <laughs> you know, suddenly this is a great place to work because you don't have to come in. Here you go. <laughs> I just think that that's a funny, a funny piece to it. Oh, my God. Sorry, I had to fall back from the microphone. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, when we had our first town hall after that and we talked about that initiative. I said, ta-da, yeah. <laughs> you know, we did it. Check that box. <laughs> That's right. Checked it real fast. Uh, yeah. But you did ask about how is it different? I think we're fresh again because we were challenged. Then we say this challenge made us do smarter, better things. Let's keep that edge of challenging each other of what's possible. And I hope it doesn't fade over time. But that's where it is right now. These next five years the market isn't there yet we see some signs of rebounding and you know everybody's you know watching the aia billings and all of that but we're gonna do this right we're gonna do it we have no choice right we're gonna do it and i think it's gonna be exciting and i think some of the young people their voice we're gonna listen to better right we're, we're going to be better listeners. And, you know, it's normally people who run companies or older like me. And we listen to these fresh ideas as we go into this next era. Why do you think the fresh ideas of the youth of our industry, and I'll define youth as anything new, whether it's a person, an idea, a practice, a procedure, will be listened to more moving forward? Because we realize the reality of the success that they bring to us. And they're bolder, the younger people are bolder. And I think this survive together idea, more voices made survival better, right? So that really pulling out every voice and listening to it and engaging in it. There was this hierarchical idea of organizations and those those lines have been blurred as young people just pick on them for a second mark zuckerberg right (laughs) super young super wealthy everybody's older than him but he's the boss like that all started to blur with tech and then like that's just permeated the world and life because 
so many people are in tech and well it makes a lot of money and it kind of sort of pushes us in one direction whether or not that's appropriate it's a whole nother conversation <laughs> if i'm hearing you it's you know older people in these companies that were just run that way like he didn't just wake up one day and say i'm gonna go change how the company works and then the pandemic hit and everything had to change and it's just opened the door for change agents in ways that weren't possible before it's incredible like you said, we hit the refresh button. It was not easy, Staples. Right. <laughs> like, this has been really tough and hard. Uh, this has not been fun, but we have learned so much. You've been in this industry forever. You've seen it go through the ups and downs of financial crisis, of the pandemic, most recently of 9-11. We always rebound. Remind us what that feels like. This industry gives me great joy. And one of the things that I look forward to is that face-to-face, -face, seeing each other and celebrating the success, but also I can't help but it wouldn't make us, you know, I, you know it's not just like better products or better services or something, but I, what I liked is a lot of organizations used to be very internal, you know, facing and everything, but we're all collaborative now. You know, you're on the line, hey, what do you think's gonna happen? Hey, what do you think's gonna happen? Everybody has come together, um, shared their ideas, concepts, and that's the win. When you're listening, you know, we talked about the youth within the organization, but it's also, Charles Stone is one of the people, like once a month I call Charles, so what do you think now, you know? <laughs> and, and we've always, you know, had a connection and a friendship, but you know, and he'll call me too, you know, and, and, and all of that. So I, I love, that's the winning part is that. The world know, is more vulnerable. Yeah. The world is more open. Yeah. And there's an opportunity to connect in a way that maybe people were scared of, whether it was talking to your boss about something, whether it was promoting or praising someone too early on for fear that something might not work out or they would leave the business to go somewhere else or I, I don't even know. I guess I'm just making this stuff up. I'm an entrepreneur. The glass is not half empty or half full. It's completely full, half with water and half with air. We've got the world ahead of us, whether it's you know liquid or air, it's all H2O and we need it. Moving forward, how does this industry thrive? How do we come out of this and take that vulnerability, that power of challenge, change, and acceptance and thrive? I think we're emboldened to do it, right? We've gone through this, so we got everything, right? We, we, we've got this. <laughs> you we've know? got this. We do, we we, do got we've this. We've got this. And so what that looks like, I, I can't see it all in front of me, but I see more creativity than ever before. And that's the exciting part. Where do you see the creativity? I think about you and your, your podcast and just the fact that I could bring a young person that has only been in the industry a year and he knew exactly who you were and he was, you know, he he was so excited and, you know, he was doing the what's up Wednesday hand thing, you know, yep. I mean, and you think about that, that's connection. And I don't know that we knew to do that before, right? that wasn't natural for us. So I, I think this is a perfect example of a tool that you've brought forward that, you know, you look a little bit like a rock star walking into the lighting hey, <laughs> company. Uh, listen, I, I play the piano. I'm not a rock star. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. And I do mm -hmm. think that creativity comes in the form of connection. When you look at the design community and all your friends in that, when you look at manufacturing, 
all the processes and procedures that are in place. There's creativity stemming in all in all of those arenas too. What do you see there? You talk about that like in the manufacturing facility and so forth, you know, and that had that big disruption, you know, everybody had to base out and to do all of those pieces. And it, it, once again, it comes to that collaboration. Everybody had to have a voice in how that looked. And it actually ends up driving some of those efficiencies that we were longing for. You know I'm a people person, so I'm, 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 I always think, think it comes back to the, the people and the listening and being creative from there. And if I can take the words out of your mouth, you know, it's the opportunity to be resilient, to learn, to do something different, to rise above that challenge to break us down, to build us back up. Creativity is what drives the design industry from manufacturing to lighting design to solving problems in general. Jim Lee, thank you so much for all the time that you've given me. Thank you so much for this conversation. To mark this moment in time, to reflect on how it has been tough, but we're still here and we do got this. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, if they want to reach out, continue this conversation, or just let you know they appreciate it, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I think LinkedIn is the best way because then I have you as a long-term friend. Every other would just be an instant in time. So look for me on LinkedIn, connect with me, and then that kind of makes us lifelong friends instead of just a moment in time. The idea of lifelong friendships is something I love. Thank you so much, Jim Lee. Good luck with your new venture here, uh, Leading Focal Point. Good luck in 2021. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, thanks again for tuning in to this episode of The Light Pod. This was a special one. This is one that we don't normally do, but felt like it was necessary. Important to document the last year of our lives. Important to remember what we've gone through and important to remind ourselves that we've got this. We are resilient and we'll see this through. If you like this episode of the podcast, do me a favor, go back to that app that you're listening to it on and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode of the Light Pod, where we interview people and talk about lighting. Entrepreneurs, CEOs, designers, enthusiasts in every corner, shape, aspect, and avenue when it comes to talking about all things light. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.